Hi, I'm Jim Crum with Colorado's Best Home Inspections. Today we're going to do a general home inspection on this house. Uh, I hope you follow along, learn a few pointers. Before we start the home inspection, I'd like to start with a little bit of gear we're wearing. Uh, all of my inspectors use body cams. You can either use it like this or you can use it with a little camera attachment. Um, we actually had one of our inspectors get bit by a dog the other day and he has it on body cam, so it's good for our insurance. So. Uh, it also kind of verifies that you don't do anything you're not supposed to and it kind of shows what you're seeing through the inspection. Uh, I use dive cameras. You know, this is what we're using right now. There's several manufacturers of dive cameras, but they take the dust, they take the drop tests, they take things like that if you drop it in a uh, sump pump. Uh, they hold up really well. We average about 450 uh, pictures for every inspection. So when we first go into a house, we're taking a couple hundred pictures. That's documenting what we see immediately. You know, are there pets in the premise? If there are pets in the premise, like this house actually has a sign beware of dog, you know, we send a seller's notice out asking them to have all their pets either contained or off-site. Even with that said, sometimes you'll get there and there's a pet. You know, do your best to make friends with it right off the bat. Uh, try not to let it out. But part of our seller's disclosure says we're not responsible for your uncontained uh, pets. So, um, I like to, to use the uh, flashlights I buy off Inspector Outlet. Um, they hold up really, really well. Uh, it's the Phoenix. This is probably three years old now. Uh, the battery gets charged about once a month, so they hold up really, really well. Uh, I can also, we bought the body cams through Inspector Outlet. So, um, this is my cell phone. May not look the nicest to have a clip on like that, but if we do need it, it's available. It's actually also my backup camera. This here. I use uh, Motion F5 military grade tablets. It's actually a Windows 10. There's a docking station in the truck. There's a docking station in my office. It is the only computer I use. So, and it'll run pretty much all the softwares out there. I buy my uh, inspector accessories through Inspector Outlet. You can find them at inspectoroutlet.com. You can also find them on the Inter Internashi website. But the body cam comes from them. The cameras come from them. You can actually buy the sewer camera I use through inspectoroutlet.com. Okay, when we go in the house, the first thing we do, we knock on the door, of course, we make a lot of noise. If we open up the house and a seller doesn't let us in, we're constantly yelling to begin with, hello, CBHI home inspection, CBHI radon test, drop. However it is, you just want to make sure somebody knows. You go up the stairs, coming up the stairs especially if somebody's home. You don't want to walk in on somebody in the bathroom or changing or something like that. It makes a very bad situation. So we make lots of noise. I once had the neighbors call the police on me when I was setting a radon because I made so much noise. I would rather have that happen than surprise somebody and have them not know we're there. So when we enter the house, first thing we start to do is take pictures. We typically take a couple hundred pictures doing our general walkthrough. We're taking pictures of any money, any jewelry, at least four or five pictures of every room from the different angles. We're also, remember, we're using a body cam. It's videoing this whole thing. We're taking pictures of our water heater. We're taking pictures of our bathrooms. When we're done with that, then we actually come out to the house and start our inspection on the outside. But that way I know where the furnace is. I know where the water heater is. We've figured out where we're gonna access everything so that the inspection kind of rolls out smooth after that. Uh, it also documents the actual condition when we walk in the house. So if there's a broken blind, if there's broken furniture, 
we have that all on, on our camera right off the bat. Those are our cover yourself pictures. They typically don't end up in the report, but those are the you know things that I keep forever to protect my uh, business assets. Let's go in the house. Okay, when we come in the house first thing in the morning or afternoon, uh, what we do is starting at the front door, we just start taking pictures. Now we have our body cams for our backup, but we are taking on a big room like this, we'll probably take eight pictures because we're coming in from all different angles, but from every corner we take. Now, if we find something expensive, anything like that, that, okay, I want to document it's their beginning and the end of the inspection. Like here, I take a picture of this whole area. And we're going to call them over here. And it just kind of shows as you walk through. Now, remember, we do clockwise. So all of my pictures are going to be clockwise. So if I have any questions, I can go back and I know where it's going to be in my pictures. So I take the, the bathroom. Now, we take a picture from away. We take a picture under the sink from a distance, and then we take one close up. So we have at least three pictures of every sink. And if I see something obvious like the worn floor, we're gonna take pictures of it. Now this is usually where we'll take our data tags that are readily accessible. Like right here, it's a 40 gallon water heater, so I put that in my report. We have a catch pan, and we have our 18 inch copper. I'm also gonna take a picture of that humidifier so that I know I have to go back to it later. I also take the humidifier settings. Our thermostat, so we know exactly what it was when we walked in the door. Now we try to do these in, right when we walk through the door because you have an, may have an agent who comes in and turns the heat up or turns the air conditioner on, we want to know what the seller left it at, not so much as what the agent turned it to. And then we'll continue upstairs doing the same pictures. Okay, we just took our preliminary pictures. Now we're actually going to start the inspection on the outside of the house. You notice we wear booties. We will not enter somebody's house without booties. So always, always, always put booties on or take your shoes off. So we're on the outside of the house now. You know, I typically grab a screwdriver as I'm coming out. That way when we take apart the electrical panels, things like that, I'm all prepared. In my business, we go around the house clockwise all the time. Once we do that, then we work around counterclockwise. On the inside of the house, everything's done clockwise. The big thing, if you learn nothing else today, is get a system and stick with it. It doesn't matter if the house is 1,000 square feet, 10,000 square feet, or 40,000 square feet. If you use the same systematic approach, you will not miss things. It's a really bad day when you have to knock on somebody's door at night and ask if you can look at the fireplace because you forgot to look at it. So don't do that. Always do the same inspection. Okay, when we're doing an inspection, most of the time my clients are with me. We invite them to follow us anywhere but our ladders. Liability-wise, nobody gets to touch our ladders. Now, I use the same spiel to begin with, always tell the same the clients the same thing. You know, my job is to point out defects. We're really good at it. You know, number one is always safety. It's the one that hurts or kills you or the kids. Two is water, it bankrupts you. So we're gonna talk a lot about water, how to prevent problems. Right here, we have a subsurface drain. 
subsurface drains are supposed to daylight. I can't find where this daylights. So I will talk to my clients about that because if this gets plugged up, then it could cause settlement problems at the garage. As we're working here, I'm gonna be taking pictures of defects. I'm looking, the paint is pretty faded. So we're gonna talk about, you know, it's really due for a paint job. You know, you can see a little bit of peeling here. Uh, it is a fiber siding, so the quicker they get paint on it, the cheaper it's gonna be. If they wait another winter or two, they're probably gonna to have to do some siding repairs. And now I think the dogs are out. Let me take a quick peek. Nope, they're not. Just checking to make sure we didn't have any dogs in the backyard. Now, when we come in, again, going to the backyard, I'm gonna take a bunch of pictures. And all that is just to document what you're seeing when you get here. You also, if there's pets you wanna watch, make sure you don't step on anything. So over here with the patio, we're gonna look right here, we can see erosion. So we're gonna take a picture of that, you know, in the report. We do our inspections at site, so we wanna make sure that we get all those things documented so that uh, you're not trying to go home that night and writing the report off memory. Now that's a good way to forget things. So we have a concrete patio in the rear and we have soil erosion. Now as you do this a lot, you'll get drop downs so you don't have to do a lot of writing. You know, for us, typically all I have to write is Northwest, Southwest, we just have to do locations. We have pretty much all the defects we're gonna see already pre-written, so we're happy with them. Now, I always write up dog doors as a safety issue. Just the other day, I went in to do a radon drop through a dog door because the lockbox didn't work. So, I could fit through that one, so could a burglar or a thief. So, we always write them up as a, as a safety issue. Now here, we're looking. I think we have a flue up there. It could also be a drain for a laundry, but you wanna pay attention to, you know, when you see things like that, so you can figure out what's going on. Uh, if it is a flue, it should have a screen in it. Air conditioning. We always write down, take a picture of all data tags. We have had water heaters switched out. We've had a couple of furnaces switched out between when we do the inspection and when the closing. So this is a 2003. It's a two ton. And if you look, this one actually uses R22. Now, R22 was outlawed as a refrigerant uh, in 2008, meaning they can still sell it, but they don't make it. So we put a note in our report that the uh, refrigerant can be very expensive or difficult to find. So basically, if this has a problem, it's really not worth fixing anymore. We also, we've got a lot of erosion underneath here, so it's no longer level. That's really hard on it, and it's really dirty. So those three things are really hard on an air conditioner. Hopefully we'll be able to run it today. Uh, if we can, uh, if it's above 65 degrees, we will. So right now I'm just putting down the notes that, that I see and it's, fins are dirty, it's not level. Doesn't look to have been serviced recently. It should be serviced annually. Now over here, the refrigerant line insulation's missing. Also, there's a big hole right there on the siding. So 
you should note that it's not caulked at the siding, but also in the refrigerant section, uh, you should have a note about that. Now, what we do is if we have something, we've seen this several times, so we have a drop down. But if I have to write something new that I haven't written before and it's a long uh, paragraph, what I'll do is I'll spell check, make a few mistakes, uh, put long with three G's or something like that, so that when I do a spell check on my computer, it brings it up and it's like, oh yeah, I need to write that story. So that way I'm not sitting in an inspection trying to type out a big long story. I can do it in my office when I have a keyboard. Now here, we're actually missing the downspot extension pipe. So that water has been coming down onto this. So now this has been getting wet. That trim is moisture damaged as we speak. And it all goes back to, to not having a downspot extension. That's a very quick way to ruin a house. So I'm gonna put a note about moisture damage trim. We have a picture. Now, here's our electrical panel. We always take a picture coming up. Every house we ever inspect, we pull on the tag. It's amazing how many times you're gonna see this cut and put together so it looks good. This one's still secure. If you pull down and somebody's been into it, it's either they've been stealing electric or somebody's been into it that wasn't supposed to be into it. So we check that in every house we look at. Then we open it up. First thing we do is take a picture. That way, if we take things apart, we can, and we trip a breaker, we actually know what was on and what was off. So this is a Siemens panel right here. So we should have Siemens breakers. Just looking, these are all Siemens. These are Siemens arc faults. Now you can still read the legend. It's getting kind of faded, but you can read it. So it's 150 amp service. Now we had already been around the house. When you check this, you should also brush the panel. That way, if you have a problem, your hands clasp like this and not onto the panel. Normally, we'd also be wearing safety glasses for this. Uh, for the video shoot, we're not doing that, but you do wanna wear your protective safety gear. Light gloves are a good idea. Glasses or a face shield are a good idea. Now with this style, you have to be careful trying not to trip the main breaker. Now if the homeowner is home while we're doing the inspection and they're working on a computer, I will advise them that I'm gonna be going to the electrical panel that there's a chance I could trip the breaker. So they should be saving their stuff on their computer. So when we go through this, you never wanna take a screwdriver or anything hot to be looking at your panel. So what we do is we do check every breaker, see if our wire size correlates, so if our sizing is correct. Over here we have 20s. We're looking at our grounding and bonding system. How is this bus bar here? This is the main panel, so it should be physically attached to this panel. Here we have another bus bar down here. That also has to be attached because we everything has to be bonded. So we're looking at that. We can't tell what the, the service wires are on this one, but we can see we have copper for our main line, for our 120s. 
down here, all of our 220s are copper also. So we don't have a lot of 220s in the house. We have our range, we have our dryer, we have our air conditioner. These white wires are for our arc faults. Those are our neutrals. If we had white wires as hot wires, we'd write that up because you're not supposed to have that. So inside, we're actually looking good. And now, and carefully put the cover back on. Put the screw in. Tighten it. And then we step back and take another picture, showing that all the breakers are on. We close the panel and take another picture showing that we left it as found. Right down here is the ground. So on this one we have a driven rod ground. Age of the house, we should also have a cold water ground. So we're gonna take pictures of all of those. Okay, we're gonna check the hose faucets. Now if there's a hose on it, one, you wanna make sure that you're not just spraying yourself. Turn it on, see if we have leaks. And also, if it's any time around cold weather, we want to put a note that leaving the hoses on a hose faucet during the cold weather can cause damage. So this one, the handles, probably wasn't the original handle, but it does function. Now when we check our electrical, we check our outlets before tripping them. Then we're in the, inside the house, we've tried to find out where our GFCIs are going to be. So if there's a bunch of stuff in the garage, this, the age of this house, the GFCIs will be in the garage. I don't want to trip it if it's tied to a freezer and I can't get at the outlet. But if we can get at them, we're going to trip them. If we don't get to where the GFCI is, we'll make a note that we did not trip the GFCIs due to the occupant's belongings. When we're looking at light fixtures, one, you want to see if they're loose. Two, you want to see if they're cocked or sealed around them. Uh, we don't want water getting in. And again, the house needs a paint job. Now typically, before we go on the roof, we step back to see what kind of venting systems we have. This house has soffits and gable venting. Typically, we don't mix the two. In Colorado, we do um, more often than elsewise because we have such a high sun load. But normally, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, we're gonna look and see if we have turtle or ridge vents. Sometimes what we find is somebody thinks the gable's gonna function as a ridge vent and it doesn't really work very good. So from down below, I typically look at all my lower roof venting, and then when we're on the roof, we look at our upper roof venting. When you go through the gates, you always make sure that you latch them. That way, if they do come home and let a pet out, you're not responsible for letting it get loose. Fences aren't really part of our standards of practice, so we write them up if there's a defect. If a fence looks great, I don't include it in my report, but if there's a problem with a gate, any loose posts, any problem with the fence at all, we write it up to safety because we don't know if our buyers are going to have kids, pets, etc., and we don't want there to be a problem. So now we're going to walk back around the house. This driveway looks pretty good. There's a couple cracks right here. So in the report, we're going to put the few cracks. Uh, I typically put that as marginal unless they're really big cracks. Uh, talk to my clients. It'd be a good idea to put a little caulk on there. Now right here, you can see the stone veneer is contacting the porch. They're supposed to have a gap like this right here so that if we get any movement, it doesn't knock the stone veneer off. 
So it's going to be in my report. You can see the mortars moved. We've had a little bit of settlement at the front porch. Because of the settlement, it hasn't affected the stone. If we'd had heave, it would have broke that stone off. So I'll talk to my clients. If they see that stone uh, come loose, it's basically just have to re-secure it back on. It's not a structural component of the house. Again, we're going to check the, the uh, outlet, use a GFCI tester once we find where the GFCIs are. Now coming over here, see right here we've had a little bit of movement again. I'd want to make sure we make a note about caulking. Gas meter, this looks really, really good. In fact, it looks like it's been just replaced recently. We take pictures of all the gas meters. If there's any kind of corrosion at all, we're going to put a note about uh, painting the gas lines because the corrosion will actually follow the threads in and then we start to get gas leaks. Gas leaks are not part of a standard of practice. You are not required to check for them, but you definitely want to inspect in case you see a situation that can make a gas leak. And if you smell it, you know, we always sniff it. Again, we're going to check our hose faucets. Make sure that they're secure, that they're on. This one's actually leaking. It's been replaced at least once, but it's currently leaking right now. Now this is sprinkler backflow prevention device. We're going to look to see if there is one. Sprinklers aren't part of a standard because they're typically shut down for about eight months out of the year, at least where we live. Uh, I'm going to look to see if it's physically leaking, something like that. Now this backflow is typically only rated for a couple of zones. Again, we may have more zones than that from what we see here, but my concern is do we have one or not? And then if we do write a complaint or a problem with this, then I have a uh, disclaimer that says sprinkler systems are not part of a standard of practice. Every time you exceed the standards of practice, you want to make sure you put a note in there uh, and just kind of a disclaimer. That way they don't think you inspected the whole sprinkler system, including what's under grade. Now looking up here, we can see the siding's a little bit bowed. Uh, again, it goes with just needing a paint job. It's not at a critical stage right now, but they could probably resecure that a little bit. Uh, but the sooner they get a paint job on this, the better it's going to be. Now we're going to get the ladder out, we're going to go on the roof and perform our roof inspection, and then we'll be going in the house. Okay, when you're coming up a roof, you always want to keep a three-point connection. That way, if wind comes up, you don't get blown off. You always want to have three rungs up. When we're here, we're going to look and see how many layers there are. We're also going to check it on something like this. Coming in the gutters, this one has an awful lot of granulars in there. That's typically an indication we have some hail damage. Right here, we're going to see we have moisture damage. Somebody did try to put a kickout flash in there, but it's a really low kickout flashing, and they ran the siding too close to the roofing material, so it's going to damage all of that siding. We're supposed to be two inches off. And here you can see the, the gable end flashings. Right here are wafts. Be very careful when you're going on a roof because a lot of times the, the bees or the wasps will have made nests there. And it's very easy to get upset and jerk away and not pay attention and fall off a ladder. So this is why we want the three-point connection and we want three rings up. Now. When you're on a roof, never, ever, ever back up. That's the easy way to fall off the roof. It's a good idea to try to stay at least three feet away from the edge. That way, if you stumble, you trip, things like that, you don't have a problem. Now, this is a 612 pitch. 
Most of our jurisdictions now are requiring tie-off gear at a 612 or higher pitch. If this roof was wet, we could not safely walk it without using our tie-off gear. Your safety is always first. When we come up on a roof, here's the tie-off gear we're talking about right here. This is the safety tie-off hook. Before you tie off to it, pull on it and make sure it's actually secure. The problem with tie-off equipment is you need to get to the hook before you can tie off. So, can you safely get to that spot to use your tie-off gear is also the question. Now right down here, they've made a partial cricket for this chimney, which is great, but the water is still damaging the trim. So I put a note down here, we can see the trim is damaged. Again, we're supposed to have a two inch separation between our siding and the roofing material. Because of this, I cannot see the step flashing. I can't even tell you if there is a step flashing there. So there's gonna be a note on my report in the flashings, step flashings, sidewall flashings were not visible because of the siding. Again, we're getting some damage there. Again, we need a paint job. This is that soffit vent that I was talking about from down below. There's one at each side of the house. Typically, we don't mix those with gables. Now, this is our fluid for the water heater and the furnace. Most manufacturers require this flue to terminate at least two feet above anything within 10 feet. So it is too close to the roof. So if we get the right wind, we may not draft correctly, or we could actually force our exhaust gases down. So you want to put a note that the, the flue terminates too close to the roof. Right here, you can't see it from there, but there's another tie-off hook. Walking the ridge is one of your safest places. Now, I'm not gonna get too close on that end without using tie-off equipment because you could fall. Now, standing here, I can see there is no ridge venting. So what they did is they're using soffit vents in the gables, thinking it's gonna push the heat out the gables. That doesn't work, so my report's gonna have insufficient venting, insufficient or improper venting. This roof is gonna be much hotter, the attic space is gonna be hotter than it needs to be. Sometimes that will cause things like this, where the ridge will loosen up. That heat's trying to find a place out. Looking at the roof itself, we're in pretty good shape. We're gonna walk where we can safely walk. Check the sewer boot flashings, like one right over there. We're going to be checking for any exposed nails, uncocked nail heads, things like that. Like I say, you can walk it like this pretty safely, but if this roof was any steeper, or if it was not perfect conditions like today, we would be using tie-off equipment. Now I have found street shoes like this to be the best roofing shoes I have ever found. So this is what I walk them. If I was using tennis shoes, I probably wouldn't be walking this roof right now. Okay, we finished with the roof inspection. Now we're gonna safely head down to the ladder, put our equipment away, we never leave our ladders out. Even though sometimes it'd be more convenient, we always put them away. Then we're gonna head inside and start the interior inspection. Okay, we just wanted to kind of show you how we set up our truck. You know, we have multiple ladders. We always wanna use the right ladder for the job because it makes it safer. We have multiple painter sticks. We use these, we put a, a, a camera attachment on it. So when we're looking at concrete roofs, sometimes it's too windy for a drone, things like that. So it's never too windy for a pole. Notice they are fiberglass, so we don't have to worry if we should hit electrical wires. Not saying you want to be near electrical wires, 
but if something catastrophic happened and you dropped them, you would be okay. This is our bag that we use on our day-to-day -day basis. We have our SureTest electrical. We have our booties. We have backups for everything in our truck. Here we have our little ferret camera. This bag here has extra moisture meters, things like that. Uh, I believe that you should always have two of everything in case you break something. We have a safe in the truck. There's actually another uh, backup computer in there along with a backup infrared. Over here's our radon. This is where we put our tripods, that kind of stuff. That is our backup sewer camera. We have another one in front of it that we use on the day-to-day -day basis. Uh, this is my incidentals and this is a locator. This is a heavy umbrella we use for doing sewer scopes in the sun. And this is our tie-off gear. So like I say, every house should have tie-off gear. And then we have drop claws so that when we go in the attic, things like that, we don't make a mess of the house. Remember, if your insurance is like mine, you have no insurance on your equipment if your truck is not locked. So even if you're just going into the house to set a radon monitor, always, always, always lock your truck. Let's go in the house. Okay, we're gonna put on our booties. Turn on lights. We turn on lots of lights. In fact, if a seller is at the inspection, I explain that we're gonna turn on all the lights and leave them on. We're trying to load test the house as much as possible in a couple hours. So part of how we're gonna do that is using the appliances, the lights, things like that. Now, seeing how I'm dressed, Nick Gramico, when I first started uh, as a home inspector 15 years ago, told me it's okay to get dirty at an inspection, but it's never okay to start the inspection dirty. So we have clean clothes out in the truck, so we do two inspections a day. If we get dirt on the pants, on the shirt, anything like that, we change before the next inspection so that we always start the inspection looking clean. You may have heard my, my phone ding. I try not to answer phone calls during the inspection. If I do have to take one, I'll make it brief. But we do get a lot of texts from our students or past students, and that's what that was right there. We don't want to, as international, we don't want to leave you hanging. If you're in the middle of an inspection and you don't know what you're looking at, we want to help you. So a text is a great way to do that because then when we get a quiet area, I can step aside and I can answer your text. You know, send me a picture, do something like that. A phone call is a much harder way to do it because we need to answer it now. So I love it when you text me because then when I get a couple of minutes just like that, uh, I can respond to you. Okay, when we come in the house, we put our booties on. First thing we do is turn around and look at the door. Look, we have a poor seal. This door is actually rubbing when it comes in. A lot of times that's as simple as putting longer screws in the hinge here. So if my client's here, I'll tell them that. But we're gonna write it up for it rubs and it doesn't seal correctly. Now we've already came through and done our general look. So we've already put down what type of floors we have, the wall material, the ceiling material, all that kind of stuff. So when we come in, checking our bathrooms, we're gonna run a lot of water. So as we come into a bath, the first thing we do is try to push the toilet with our leg. If it moves at all, we write that down as a leak. It's another student. Then we flush it. We actually fill water in the sinks and the bathtubs. Typically a couple inches in each. 
We always take a picture of our sink when it's running, just like our baths and our showers. So we actually checked it. Feel for any, any leaks that way. Now we're gonna drain it. Make sure hot's hot, cold's cold. Just make sure we don't have any leaks. We check our outlets electrically. This one doesn't have a fan. Half bathroom isn't legally required to, but it does have a window. So even if it was a three quarter or a full bath, as long as it has an openable window, they don't legally need to have a fan. When you're looking at the toilet, we also look to see if it's been caulked all the way around the base. We typically recommend they leave a couple inches at the back so that if the wax seal starts to leak, they see it on the floor before they see it on the ceiling below. Now, as we're going through the house, we work around in a circle. So as we come to something, we're gonna turn it on. Usually when we first come in from, from the, doing the roof, we open up the oven, make sure there's nothing in it, check our tip over to device, and then we'll turn it on. We'll also turn on if we have a warmer there. That way when we come in here, we can switch it to broil and turn it off so that when we leave, we know the oven's off. The other thing we do is when we finish our inspection, this is one of the items we're taking a picture of. That way we know that the oven is off. We have a picture to show that the oven is off when we leave the property. We never leave a house with running water. So when we turn this on right now, we'll typically run one of the shorter rinses or uh, washes. But if we turn it on early, then by the time we're done with the inspection, it shut itself off. Now you're not required to move furniture. Not required to move blinds, things like that. We like to look at the windows and see if we can't open them, but I'm not gonna move the couch to do it. I'm not gonna break lamps. I'm not gonna cause problems that way. So if I can reach in and open it safely, we're gonna do it. But don't get in the habit of moving things to get at outlets, switches, things like that. Everything's supposed to be readily accessible. Now, I like to use this over this. We use this to trip GFCIs because it's easy. But this here tells me a whole lot more about the circuits. On an older house, we don't take this out at all. We just use this, anything older than 63. This tells me we're wired correctly. This shows me my voltage. This will show me my voltage drop at 15. They'll also show you true RMS voltage. They'll show me a lot of different things. So these are really handy. We use it a lot. And again, this is another one of those tools that Inspector Outlet sells. So you can get it at inspectoroutlet.com. Now, if you look, they have the routers, all their stuff connected to here. I would not be disconnecting this cord right here because everything's hooked to it. If I can see this is just the lamp, I disconnect that one. But because everything's powered into that, I don't want to reset and cause them a problem. So the report's going to say a few outlets were not accessible, could not be tested due to the occupant's belongings, and I just take a picture of that. Now, we typically take pictures inside every closet. Here's our crawl space access. That's where we'll finish the inspection. Okay, when we come into the kitchen, now, we had already turned on the bake feature, so now I'm going to turn that off. 
I'm going to turn the broil on so that when I finish in here, I can turn it off when I leave, I know it's done. Now, like I say, we run a lot of water. As we come in and check our outlets, this is where I like to use this. It's just easier to trip with this. So we're going to check all of our outlets and then we're going to trip. And here's our GFCI. Make sure you always reset and recheck your outlets after you trip. Now, depending on the age of the house and the age of the outlets, GFCIs may not have been required. Remember, when something is performed to the house, like an outlet's replaced, it's supposed to be brought up to current standards. So, if everything looks new, we're gonna write lack of GFCIs up as a defect. If everything looks original and the house is older than like 86, then we're gonna write it up as an upgrade for safety. We always put it in the report though, we always recommend it. Now we just check the uh, disposal. Now under the sink, this is one of our pictures we take when we first start out, but we're gonna check and make sure there's a clamp on the disposal wire. Make sure we haven't missed ABS to PVC, except for mechanical connections. Right there, that is an air admittance valve. So because this is peninsula, they didn't vent this through the roof, they used this air admittance valve to vent the sewer system. So. Now as we're looking at our cabinets, upper cabinets, it's not recommended to use deck screws. It's a particle board back and with a deck screw it can pull through. They're supposed to use either pan head screws or screws with washers. So we're going to write that improper screws were used to hang the kitchen cabinets. Again, we see it a lot so we have that in a drop down. We actually write it up as safety because we have seen where the cabinets come off the wall and break things. So we're going to open up all the cabinets. Now, you'll notice I'm really not looking in the cabinets, especially like bathroom cabinets, things like that. You don't want to be nosy and snoop. Your job is just to see if they work. I don't care what's in them. You will see all sorts of crazy things and you don't want to really be looking at that stuff. Now let me grab a tape and a microwave tester. So with the microwaves, this microwave looks like it might be a little close for me. So we're going to go down here. Okay, we're at 16 and a half inches. A microwave is supposed to be a minimum 18 inches from the, the cooktop and that's for safety. So we're going to take a picture of that. Then we come back and we take a picture and put that in the report. We're going to put our microwave tester in. Don't run them more than 10 seconds. Otherwise, you will destroy it. So run it for a couple seconds. And we're going to turn the fan on. This is actually just an internal. If it was a gas oven, we would recommend an external fan, although it's not a requirement anymore, but it's a good idea. So I'm going to make a note about it being too close. And then I'm going to put my stuff away. And now, 
Our standards of practice are built-in appliances. A refrigerator is not a built-in appliance. You can check to see if it makes ice on that if you like, but you're not required to. So, uh, you know, like I say, we send a, a copy of the SOP. We send a link to our clients three times before we do the inspection with their contract, with their quote, and with their confirmation email. So they already know we're not doing the refrigerator. If they ask me about it, I'll talk to them about it. But there's always a disclaimer because it's not checked in the report. Now back door, look at it. You're going to open it. I want to make sure it locks and latches. I'm going to check and make sure our lights work. We've already looked at the outside from the outside of the, the house. So I don't need to do that. I've already done it. There will be a note that the screen's damaged. Now in here, this is our stacked laundry. And on the back side, we have our furnace and our water heater. Now, one of the things we need to look at when we're looking at combustion appliances, where are we getting our oxygen? Now, when a water heater or a furnace are in close proximity of a dryer, doesn't matter if it's gas or electric, we need to have outside combustion air because we can starve it and the dryer will actually pull the exhaust right back out of the flue. So at this point, I'm not seeing any kind of outside combustion air, so we're definitely gonna put that in both the furnace and the water heater section. Now this is something we've already looked at, took, taken our pictures, but this one's pretty simple. It was built in November 2013. If you look at Bradford White, there's actually, it's bedded in the serial number, but it's a, a, a letter. So we have that cheat sheet on our tablet so we can look it up and figure out the age of it. We don't put the age in our report, but I do like to use it because typically we get nine to 12 years, so we can say at or near the end of its useful life. The furnace, we saw that pipe sticking on the back side of the house and I was kind of wondering what it was. That's actually combustion air for this 80% efficient furnace. That's fine, there should have been a screen on it. This here is a single wall flue. Most manufacturers of 80% recommend a double wall flue. Uh, I'm gonna put a note in it, but the age of this, it wasn't required. So then we tie up so we have our furnace and our water heater. In the old days, it used to be a requirement that the larger appliance entered the flue before the smaller appliance. Because of our power draft now, they've got rid of that code, but it's still a good, good thing to look at. Uh, I write it up that if they're not correct, it may not draft correctly. This is a humidistat. It's for this humidifier over here. Again, you should look at the media pad, see how dirty it is, um, if it needs to be cleaned. Uh, but uh, they do recommend it be serviced every year, just like your furnace. Here we have PEX. PEX is not allowed to be installed within 18 inches of your water heater. That's why we have these copper risers here. We do have a drain down here. Looking on the backside, we have a drip leg on our gas line. So those are things we're looking for, we're happy to see. Because this is low voltage for the thermostat, that can be that way. Now it does look like our condensation from our air conditioning lines is dripping on the furnace. So I would have a note in my report about that because that can actually cause corrosion problems inside the furnace. Now we're gonna fire this up later, but 
you always want to look at it again we take pictures of the data tag so we know exactly what furnace was installed here we're going to take a picture from far back but this is an air ease and it looks like it's a 50,000 BTU so we'll write down model number serial number things like that it's a sealed burner so there's not a lot you can see on it it is dirty though so we definitely recommend it be cleaned now when you fire it off you can check for carbon monoxide that is entirely up to you again our SOPs do not require it but we don't prevent it so it's not a bad idea to do we have gas leak detectors we have uh, carbon monoxide detectors we have all that in our truck and in our bag so we bring them to site uh, but you're not required to have them so just understand that now back here is the laundry we look this one has occupants belongings in it so we'll have a note that laundry could not be tested due to occupants belongings now we always recommend a catch pan if it can damage the house we always recommend the dryer vent be cleaned that particular style would not be approved for a gas dryer but as i can't check any of the outlets i can't get at them there's going to be a note that we couldn't get at them here's our garage this should be a self-closing fire rated door coming out here we'll look here's our our uh, tag for the fire rating now they have painted over it but it does look like it's there we're going to turn the lights on now we have a car that's taking up most of the space here so there's not a lot we can do to check here you know i personally will be very careful open the garage door we want to check our reverse stops things like that i'd have somebody trip it from here and i'd stand at the outside of the house and check it because i don't want to scratch their car going in and out but I want to take as many pictures as I can to document the condition of it in here and check out the outlets, things like that. Right here, you can see this outlet's been burnt. So we want to test it, but even if that outlet tests good, they should have further evaluation because, because it trips today doesn't mean it will trip tomorrow. When we've been overheated like that, a lot of times it damages the outlet and it'd be a good idea to have it replaced. And again, because that's not something I see commonly. I don't have a drop down for it. So I just put burnt with three T's. That way when I do a spell check, my computer will catch it and then I'll write a better story. That way I don't have to sit here and spend the time to do it right now. Now I wanna check, make sure this door locks correctly. And the deadbolt does not lock. So I'm gonna put that as a safety issue. We've already looked at it from the outside, but it also rubs it. Now, if you look at that, so the hinges are loose. So we'll have that in the report. Now, if the hinges were tightened up, the dev bolt might latch. In this garage, we can't see a lot. I also look and check to make sure the steps have an even rise. All of our stairs should be within three-eighths of each other. Like I say, normally right now, we'd check the reverse stop on the garage door. Because we have that car in the way, we'll do it later when I can have somebody push the button and I can be out there checking it because we don't want to open it without checking. I'm going to make a note about the deteriorated finish on the wood floors. Um, it could be considered cosmetic, 
but you can tell there's been dogs in here. Okay, so here I just caught up on what we looked at in the garage. Like I see, when there's a car in there, I just try to kind of keep everything close so we don't take a chance of, of scratching anything. So now over at the oven, we've already checked. Now the broiler, it's working. We're gonna turn the broiler off. This is hot, right here. We're gonna check our burners quickly. You don't wanna leave them on too long without anything on it because you can burn things. But uh, so this is a two stage, so we'll check both. So now we have everything off. So now we're gonna take a picture that shows it off. And when we're done with the inspection, we're gonna take a picture that shows this off. Now remember, first thing we did is we looked inside here to make sure there was nothing in there. We take a picture of that as we're doing our general walk around, but you know, always look because people store Tupperware, they store all sorts of weird things in their oven and you don't want to melt it. And now we're gonna go upstairs, check upstairs. Again, if there's any occupants, we always announce, coming upstairs. Okay, we're coming upstairs. Like I say, I like to announce it. Now we're gonna check, make sure all of our handrails are tight, actually are there. Now, in Colorado, we have a law that we have to have a smoke detector within, and a CO detector within 15 foot of each bedroom. That's a smoke CO, so that does qualify. Consumer Product Safety Commission recommends a smoke detector in each bedroom, common area of the house, one on each level of the house, and then a CO detector each occupied level of the house. So that's what we recommend. So, coming into the bedroom, we're gonna turn on everything, but we typically try to run our fans at high to see if they wobble. When we turn them off, we're gonna see if they're tight at the ceiling. See how this one's wobbling? So we're gonna put a note on that because it can actually rip loose from the ceiling if that's the case. So we write that up as safety. So there's gonna be a note that the rear bedroom fan wobbles. We've already came through and taken our general pictures, but we're gonna come in and quickly look. Like I say, we have to look at everything, but we're not here to snoop. So I'm not gonna move intimate articles. I'm not gonna move things like that. Uh, we're just kind of looking for water stains on the ceiling, damage holes, things like that. But we do a pretty brief in the closet in their personal spaces. We try not to spend a lot of, uh, a lot of time with that kind of stuff. Now in here, again, we're gonna check and see if the toilet's loose. Then we're gonna turn on the water. And we're gonna come over here in a shower or a bathtub. Here we're missing grout. So we're gonna look. You can hear that sounds different than here. So that tile is actually coming loose. So there's going to be a note about loose tile and deteriorated missing grout in the report because that's only going to get worse. Now I'm going to talk to my clients and tell them if they fix the, the grout and they fix the caulking, that tile is still intact. They can probably buy themselves some time, but eventually they're going to have to re redo the shower. Now we want to see if hot's hot and if it actually gets hot. Again, we run our water. And again, under, you know, personal space, we're looking, do we have leaks? 
That's what we're looking for. Again, we have an air admittance valve right down there. I'm going to see if that holds. I'm going to show a picture of it actually operating. Get a picture for the report. We're hot. Now, over time, you're going to kind of come to the, the feeling of what's too hot. If I turn on hot and I see steam or it feels too hot, now that one's not holding. So there's going to be a note in the report that it doesn't hold. Uh, if the water seems too hot, I'm going to take my infrared and take a picture of it. We don't want to be above 130. We really want to be about 124, 119 to 125. So we're going to check that. But you're going to come to a point where you can just sense if it's too hot. So we open and close all the doors. That way we can tell if we have any binding, if the house has moved, things like that. Now this one, we're missing the drain stopper. So there'll be a note that it's missing on this one. Again, we're going to come up, see if the toilet moves. Now, this bathtub's missing the drain stopper. We actually carry a little rubber drain stopper so I can uh, hold the water if need be. Now this one, the grout looks in much better shape. We'll typically add, if we have a drain stopper, two, three inches of water in there just to check we don't have a leak. Now, we take pictures of it wet and dry. That way, especially with a plastic tub, sometimes if somebody's replaced their toilet or a wax seal, they set the, the, the toilet in the bathtub and they break the bathtub. So we always take a picture that shows the actual condition of the tub during the inspection. Again, we're gonna look underneath it, not look at their personal stuff, but see we're not dripping, we're not leaking, things like that. Again, the age of the house, the outlets are all GFCI protected. We check things like that. Okay, as you'll notice, I use this flashlight a lot. But we're gonna check the closets. Coming in here, if I can safely close the door when they have a cord like this, I will. With that, we'd consider an office. We're gonna look in the closet again but not look at their stuff. Here's the attic. This will be the second to last place we are. We've taken multiple pictures of that just to show that if it's damaged, we have the pictures of it. If it's not damaged, we have pictures that it's not damaged. Again, when you can get at a window like this, then we open it. Now this one, see it has a damaged track. Also missing the screen. So, there's going to be a note about the damage, loose damage track. There's going to be a note about the missing screen. Now, right up here is a smoke detector. These are looking good. They're white. If they are yellow or turning yellow, we recommend replacement. Uh, they are made out of a resin that turns yellow on purpose, so that way you can date them just by looking at the color. So again, coming in, opening the windows, checking our outlets. Coming over here, checking our closet. Remember, we've already been in here and checked, taken three, four pictures of each, from each angle. So when we're just kind of doing this walkthrough, we don't have to spend a lot of time because we've already been in here and, 
and kind of noted any big defects, like if we had water stains, things like that. But uh, you want to make sure you you know open and close every door, open and close every accessible window. If you can't get at a window, put a note. It's not possible to open, uh, you know, due to occupants' belongings. And if there's only one or two windows, we'll actually put the location. If there's more than that, we'll put several, a few, whatever the case may be, and we'll rely on our pictures to show which ones. We can head downstairs. Okay, before we make any changes to the thermostat, we take a picture of where it is. Right now we're on cool, 74 degrees. That way, we run the air conditioner if it's warm enough. We run the furnace. When we get done, after running the furnace, we'll go back to cool 74. You have that as your memory in case you forget. But as we're doing our final walk through the house, we always take a picture again that it's back to where it was. In the winter, that can be really important because you don't want to forget to turn the heat back on. And that way you can document, we left the heat at 68 degrees right where you had it. So always get in the habit of taking your thermostat pictures that way it covers you. Okay, so now we're gonna look at the crawl space. So we take a picture showing the access, you know, when it's in carpet, not a big deal. But sometimes you'll come in a wood and the, the floor will be damaged, things like that. So now, right below me is the water shutoff. That is gonna be the only picture in my report that doesn't relate to a defect, is gonna be the main water shutoff. Now there should also be one at the entrance to the crawl space. So we're gonna look in there. Now I typically don't take my tablet in the crawl space just because it's a dirty area. Now you wanna look down, make sure you're not gonna hit anything and then climb in. Now if there's not enough access for you to safely enter it, you don't have to enter it. You can look from here. But when possible, it's always best to go in them you don't know what you're gonna find. I always wanna look underneath every bathroom, every furnace, and every laundry, because that's where you're gonna see some weird things sometimes by the plumbers, or if they cut out a joist, or if we've had a leak. Uh, so those are kind of the, the susceptible areas to problems. We should not have carpet down here, because carpet can grow mold. Right now, we are leaking water from the furnace area. The uh, air conditioner's running, so I believe it's probably condensation water. We're gonna look at it. It's gonna be definitely noted in the report, but uh, we never wanna see any kind of leaks into the crawl space. Okay, here we can see that the floor drain's leaking. So we're actually leaking all this water into the crawl space. Here, the return air has become disconnected. So they're actually pulling the air that they're pumping through the house from the crawl space. Not a very clean space, we don't wanna do that. You can see there's a little tra trash and debris down here. We really would like this to be a clear space. Here's our main water shutoff. There should also be one near the foundation. Not a good place to store boxes. Here we have some rust and corrosion at the uh, support post. We do have a vapor barrier. It is a little odd to see the spacing. We're over two feet on our floor joist, which is kind of odd to see that big a spacing. I would get a tape measure and measure to actually figure out what our spacing is. Okay, we're just checking the spacing. It actually is two foot on center, which is a little unusual for a floor. They're two by eights. Uh, we're not required to check span, but if I see something looks a little unusual, I will typically look. 
we're at a 10 feet uh, span, two by eights, two foot on center. So I'll look it up in my charts and see if that's, that's acceptable. Now you always want to put the cover on immediately so nobody falls in. Okay, now we're going to inspect the attic. That's typically the last or the second last thing that we do depending on if we have a crawl space. Okay, when we set up our ladder, we always use drop claws. So if anything falls down, we minimize how much dirt there is. And you want to be careful. Remember when you're carrying a ladder through the house, it's easy to bang up walls, doors, things like that. So be very careful. We like the expandable ladders like this. It's just easier to get in. Plus they're very stable. So as you go up, you never want to do this to open an attic access. You can leave fingerprints. If you use the backs of your hands like this, you can typically do it without leaving any marks. So we're going to lift up and then try to tip it over and not lay it down on the painted side because then you're just going to make a really dirty attic uh, access panel. Now, you are not required to enter an attic. If it's safe, it's a good idea because there's a lot of things you'll see from up there that you won't see from the opening. If you do inspect it from the opening, you are required to say that in your report. The attic was inspected from the access only due to limited uh, clearance, the depth of the insulation, something like that. So we go up. First things first, we're going to look to see how it looks. Now, nobody's been in this attic, so you have to decide if you're the first guy that's going to want to displace all the insulation. If you can easily walk on the truss webbing, definitely I would go in it. Otherwise, you know, sometimes it does make sellers upset. If you're in the middle of a property and you can see it all, a lot of times you can do it from the access. But uh, on this one, we're going to go in. And due to the temperature of the attic, you can also tell that the venting's not working correctly because this attic is much hotter than it should be. So we want to try and put the access back like it was. And like I say, don't put your fingers on it. Now, that attic didn't look like anybody had ever walked it. A new construction, most builders will not allow you in the attic because if you displace the insulation, they have to rake it smooth again to get their permit signed off for insulation. So always do a seller's notice, always do a builder's notice so that they can tell you, no, you can't be in the attic, no, you can't be on the roof, no, maybe you can't be in the electrical panel. So a new construction, always ask. Okay, the owner was nice enough to move their car so we can actually do a proper garage inspection. So first thing we're looking at is the door. They open the door so we know it's safe to open. On the openers, we're looking. See here, we have some loose nuts on the hinges. We have a loose lock on the hinge right there. So we're going to put that in the report. Here, our optic eyes. We want them to be approximately 8 inches from the ground. So they are. I always like to come look and see what type of opener it is. We have a belt drive. You don't want to put too much pressure on the reverse stops with the belt drive because you can actually strip the gear. Remember, they should be at 10 pounds. So if I do 10 pounds and the door doesn't turn around, I'm writing it up as a defect. I don't need to go 30 or 40 because I don't want to damage the unit itself. So I'm going to come up here. Sometimes you have to be fairly quick. So the door did not turn around. There we check the optic eyes. So I'm going to put a note that the reverse stop is improperly adjusted. And that's to protect kids, pets, things like that from being crushed. So 
Looking through the garage, now we can see the firewall looks like it's intact. The garage floor looks good. We've already checked the outlets, lights, things like that. Up here, these actually have safety wires installed. So if they didn't have those wires, I would be recommending them. Uh, and right there, you can actually see the, the, the notice about it. So there we finished the garage inspection. That is what we do with the home inspection. Now, when we're putting things away, you know, we're finishing up the house. You want to make sure the house is locked up. But then the last thing you want to do is kind of make a quick inventory of your tools. You know, especially your expensive items. You know, do I have what I brought into the house? Is my infrared put away? Is my sewer camera put away? Things like that. The last thing you want to do is have to come back to the house to get it or just lose it because a lot of these tools are very expensive. Well, thanks for watching our inspection video. Uh, good luck with your inspection career. And don't be afraid to uh, text or email if you have any questions. Thank you.